Welcome. My name is Matt Blazer. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, what we do in the Reformed tradition, which is the heritage of uh, the barn, is we notice days and times that we can commemorate and celebrate what happened. We're not as concerned with holy days as we are with Sundays because that is the resurrection celebration. That is when our calendar changed. That's when the entire world changed because of the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. And yet we take time a few times throughout the year to remember when history began to change. And on Maundy Thursday, according to the Gospels, the accounts of Matthew and John, the disciples, and Mark and Luke, who listened carefully to those who witnessed these things, Jesus ate dinner with his disciples. He instituted the Lord's Supper. His betrayal began. They sang a hymn together. He prayed that night in the garden, confounding our imaginations that he would pray, Lord, would this, pass, would this cup pass from me? but not my will, but thine, stretching our imaginations and our minds to understand how God incarnate prays and prayed. So we're doing a little bit of all the things that humans do tonight. We're going to sing a little bit, which might feel a little celebratory with the lights dimmed, and yet Jesus, after instituting the Lord's Supper, sang a hymn with his disciples after the beginning of his betrayal, before Gethsemane, and just a few hours before his horrible trial, they still sang. And so we begin our time together tonight with singing. So if you would rise with me. Side his crown for my soul. 
I'm free. I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing and joyful be. And through eternity, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And through eternity, I'll sing on. I have been in the habit the last couple of years of taking one verse from the high priestly prayer, which is in John chapter 17, and talking about it on Maundy Thursday for a few minutes, which means if you believe in karma, I'll be at the church for 27 years, but we don't really affirm karma here. So after 27 years, I'll figure out something else to do with the text. The text in John really presses our imagination. And that sounds like a pastory thing to say, except listen to this in verse 5. This is Jesus praying in front of his disciples. John records it here for you and for me. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Doesn't that stretch our mind and imagination? Jesus is asking God the Father, who in chapter 10 he said he was one with, to glorify him the same way that he was glorified before the world existed. I don't know how familiar you are with the text, but you know the text is not the whole story. The text tells us that it's a longer story, that before even angels existed which is before creation, God existed as one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Angels are created. Some bad stuff happened there. Perhaps you've heard about it. Then God creates men and women in the garden. That goes a little south. Jesus enters the picture, and we're still waiting for him to come back and make all things new. What Maundy Thursday invites for you and for me to spend some time and energy and imagination considering is both the human face of Jesus and the fact that he is God. I will not try and give you a metaphor for the Trinity because it is the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit. And yet Jesus empties himself That's Philippians 2. Theologians call it the kenosis. He becomes a human being. He crossed over from a different plane of existence as God became a man to pursue you and me and to begin the process of putting the world back to rights. But if you read the Gospels, what you'll see more often than that story is the human face of Jesus. Men and women who encounter Jesus 
and were so loved. Not love that was nice, love that was kind without enabling for a second. Love that healed. Love that calmed fears, even fears that were legitimate. The human face of Jesus is a beautiful one and one easy to interact with. If you have a children's Bible, you'll see all of those stories. And yet, many of those men and women, we don't actually know if they trusted Christ with their heart and with their decisions forever. It was a very patriarchal society, and there's one story in John 8 where some men drag a woman out who was caught in adultery. If she was caught in adultery, where was the man? We don't know. Jesus responded to her very kindly without enabling. We don't know the rest of her story. There are times that Jesus healed, and people were moved by the human face of Jesus, and yet... There is more to him than the human face. So what I'm asking you to do tonight, what I believe Monday Thursday invites us to do, is consider both the human face of Jesus that was kind and loving, healing without enabling, powerful over sin and death and sickness and the elements, and also consider what Jesus prayed in John 17, 5 that he is indeed before time, that he's one with God. Because if we lose the supernatural, if we lose the eternal aspect of Jesus, there is no power to save us. If we lose that, the kind human face of Jesus becomes absurd because he said things like this in John chapter 17. And yet his human face is how we sense our connectedness to him in our own brokenness, in our own sickness, in our own disorientation. We see how kind he is with men and with women. And therefore, he is accessible to us, even though he is before all time, eternally coexistent with the Holy Spirit and with the Father. And so I'm asking of you something simple, but very difficult to do as we sing as we pray, as we interact with the stories of Jesus tonight, I'm asking you to hold in tension what Jesus said in John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I'm asking you to hold that in tension with the very human face of Jesus. He started writing in the dust. (laughs) I don't know why. All I could think of in that moment was how much my shoulder was hurting from being thrown so violently. (laughs) Those men, those leaders, threw me at his feet like garbage. (laughs) But who was this man? And why had they brought me to him? They spoke of my sin. They spoke of what the law said I deserved. 
They were hurling insults and threats at the both of us. I couldn't stop crying. I just wanted to go hide somewhere. I had children to care for. I had water to collect. I just wanted to get away from this most shameful moment of my life. I... None of them could understand what I was feeling. None of them knew why I had to be with that man, that man who is not here on the ground next to me. I felt fear and anger and shame while hearing them challenge this holy man. But he said nothing. Instead, he looked down at me as I sat crumpled at his feet. And in that moment, I felt peace like I've never felt before. His eyes reached out to me and told me to relax and to trust. I don't know why, and I don't know how, but I know that in that moment, he spoke all of that to me without saying a single word. They think out of their frustration, they began to yell louder and louder for me to be killed while picking up large stones from here and from there. But all the while, this, this holy man just came over to me and knelt down and started to write in the dust. I, I don't know what he was writing. Maybe it was their sins. I honestly don't know. But when he finally spoke, it was as if it was God himself. <sighs> Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. What? What? I saw the rocks in their hands and I sheltered my head. Who would say this to these leaders? Who has the audacity to challenge the law? And how, how could this gentle, holy man protect someone like me? I, I felt like I was being pummeled by rocks, but not on my body, instead inside my head. I could not conceive of what he had just said to them. Despite my, my disbelief and, and my complete confusion, those men started to, to drop their stones. And one by one, they started to walk away. All of them, all of them until it was just Jesus standing there. He reached down for my hands and he pulled me up next to him and he looked in my face and he said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? I searched his eyes 
Was this a trick? Was this some kind of sinister joke? But in his eyes, I saw none. All I saw was peace and forgiveness. And so I replied, no one, Lord. And so he whispered to me, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I had been hidden away from almost everyone I loved for years. I wasn't allowed to eat with my own family. I wasn't allowed to celebrate like it was my sister's wedding. I wasn't allowed to mourn with the others when first my mother and then my father passed away. But I didn't complain. How could I? I knew the law. But I couldn't bear it. I longed to be touched, to be seen again. Was that too much to ask? Why couldn't I experience life like everybody else experienced life? My heart broke beyond repair as I watched life pass me by because the law told me I was unclean. Unclean. Can you imagine being called unclean for 12 years? What had I done to deserve this treatment? I was already sick in my body. I was weak. I was tired all the time. What more was there? I carried my illness like a veil of shame. But somehow, I didn't believe I was unclean. I bathed. My clothes were clean. I was not unclean. But the law held me. It held me so tightly, I couldn't breathe. I went to physicians. I went to other women who suffered from this same illness. I went to people who told me they could heal me with potions and remedies and I spent much more money than I could afford. But none of them worked. None of them. My soul bled out of me for 12 long, unbearable years. And then, one day, I heard the news. Jesus was coming to our town. I'd heard he was a healer. I'd heard he was from God. Women whispered to me so the men wouldn't hear, Jesus, Jesus the healer will be nearby. These women would have been punished for telling me this in case I tried to go to see him. My presence in the town could have made others unclean. And if I'd gone there, I would have been breaking the law. But these women, they knew my suffering. As I approached the town, I could see quickly the crowds that were surrounding him. 
I tried so hard not to touch anyone as I approached him. I crouched, I twisted my body, I tried to do everything I could not to make anybody else unclean. I tried my best, but I had to see him. I had to touch him. I hated to bother him. He looked so busy. And I also, even more so, didn't want to make him unclean. What was I thinking? How could I touch him? But then I thought, maybe, maybe if I just touched the hem of his robe, that's all. Just a brief touch, just maybe right on the fringe. I believed like I'd never believed anything, that Jesus would heal me and never know it. Then I could just return and be with my family again. I leaned in through the crowd, twisting my body, and I, I touched the hem of his robe. And I felt it right away. I felt a power and a heat pass through my body from the top to the bottom, and I knew in that instant I had been healed. Jesus had healed me. He was from God. Well, I turned to go so that nobody would see me. But then I heard him say, Who touched me? This man of God asked so gently, I couldn't leave. I couldn't lie to him. I couldn't hide away anymore. I looked up and I saw him searching for me in the crowd, so I turned and I went to him, pushing aside, actually touching anyone that got in my way. And I said, I did. He reached out as if to touch me and keep me from fainting, but I did collapse. I didn't collapse out of weakness or sickness. I collapsed at the feet of the man who had healed me. He saw me, and he reached out to calm my heart from pounding out of my body. He reached out to see me, to look at me in my eyes, deeply, clearly, directly, right into my eyes and into my soul. The world became quiet. Even the men surrounding him stopped grumbling at him about not talking to me and not touching me. Everything and everyone stopped. And then, he knelt down on one knee and said, have faith, daughter. Your faith has made you well. I felt my weight in a way I hadn't before. As I began to sink into the water, I wondered if I would die. 
I know that sounds absurd after everything I had seen, but in that moment, I I could only think of myself. The wind swelled the waves so high, I couldn't see him. I, I couldn't see him. And I panicked. We'd been out on the, on the boat for some time. The seas were incredibly rough. We took turns keeping watch, but as daylight approached, we were still fighting the wind and the waves. Earlier, Jesus had sent us off ahead. He was tired, and he, he needed to be alone. He had been speaking to thousands of men, women, and children, and he fed them. <laughs> he fed them all with but a pittance of food. Another miracle. Another display of incredible power such as I'd never seen. But even he was tired. And he needed time to himself. He sent us off so quickly, we didn't really notice the conditions. And we, we lingered by the shore longer than we should have, because we figured he would change his mind and come with us. I mean, how was he going to get across otherwise? Eventually, we decided he would catch another boat. And then, at that, that time just before dawn, where, when the sky turns that, that pink-gray color, I saw a figure of a man in the water. Only not in the water, but on the water, walking on the water. I remember rubbing my eyes. I I thought I was seeing things. I'd been up most of the night. I was tired. But I wasn't the only one who saw this. And we were terrified. We thought a ghost was coming towards us. I know that sounds crazy. Grown men afraid of a ghost. But what other explanation did we have? No one can walk on water. Even sea creatures can't do that. And here was this, this figure seemingly just walking on the water as if to head over to the other side. And then we heard him say, Take heart, it's me. Do not be afraid. He said, it's me, and I knew right then it was Jesus. Thank God it was Jesus. (laughs) But, But how is that possible? I don't know why, but I immediately said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. (laughs) And I, I tell you the truth, he said, come. 
I, I stepped out of the boat into the water, or rather, on the water, and, and I walked. <laughs> I, I was walking on the water, on the waves. But then there was that, that wind I told you about. And the waves, they swelled so high. I, I, I couldn't see them. So I began to sink. I said, Lord, save me. That was all I could muster. I didn't remember all the people he had healed. I didn't remember the people he had raised from the dead. I didn't remember all the people he taught and loved unconditionally. I didn't even remember that he was standing just ahead of me. Lord, save me. And, and, and then he, he stretched out his hand. He stretched out his hand towards me through the waves, through the swells, and I grasped it with all the strength and gratitude I had. And he pulled me to him. And as, as he drew me near, I heard him say, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And I had no answer. We walked together over to the boat and climbed in. Someone put a blanket around me. I expected to hear the whispers. <laughs> Typical Peter. But I, I heard nothing of the kind. The wind died down. And, and the seas became calm. And all we could think or feel, all any of us could say was, truly, you are the Son of God.
John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. In verse 41, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. In verse 51, he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
The Jews then disputed among themselves because he kept saying, I am the bread of life. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because that was just as challenging then as it is now to hear. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. We take the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, as a commemoration of what we believe. We take it as a proclamation with not only our mind and our heart, but also with our lips and our body that we profess that our hope is in Jesus. None of those words surprise you, and you're starting to tune me out. Now listen. Listen. If your allegiance is not to Jesus. I am so glad you're here. Please don't take the bread and the juice. There's no need for you to do a religious activity that you do not believe in. Please still come forward. The way we often, not always, but often take communion at the barn as we kneel and you'll be presented with the bread and the juice and be reminded that this is Jesus's body and blood which is for you for your life today and eternally but I need to say because of the rest of scripture specifically 1 Corinthians 11 we don't need to be any more hypocritical than we often are throughout our days. And that's, I don't mean that as a negative term. I mean that as an honest term. If your faith is in Jesus, if you call him Lord with your heart, with your decisions for the future, for your salvation, then receive the sacrament. If you do not, please still come forward, but indicate to me or to Rick that you would appreciate prayer or that you'll pray on your own or stay in your seat. I'm glad you're here considering the gospel of Jesus. Those of you that have put your faith in him, I'm glad that you'll receive the sacrament where more happens supernaturally than we can sense or understand. It is an act of obedience and faith and trust. It is a proclamation that we believe Jesus is ours and we are his forever. And I'm grateful to receive that alongside you in a few minutes. Oftentimes, when we do communion, we have ushers dismiss you. We're not going to do that tonight. I'm going to encourage you to remain in your seat until you're ready to take the Lord's Supper or to be prayed for. If you have children and they receive the Lord's Supper, we will serve it to them. We trust you that you have had those conversations. If you have children and they do not yet profess Jesus as Lord, Maybe place your hand on their head or indicate to the servers that they are to receive prayer and not the elements. I'd encourage you in the meantime, between now and the time you either come forward or don't, to consider the human face of Jesus and the supernatural one. 
the man who is both knowledgeable of how disorienting it is to be a human and who is God and therefore has the power to save us. Perhaps from the song or one of the stories or from a story you know, but take your time. We have time to consider that. That is a good thing. When you're ready, Rick and I will be ready to share with you the elements of the Lord's Supper. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we praise you that you sent your Son who proclaimed that he is the bread of life. We do not fully understand that, Lord, and yet many of us trust it. Holy Spirit, would you help us in this moment, those who are considering you, would you help us to consider? For those of us who have put our faith in you, would you help us to sense the power of the sacrament of your body and blood given for us? Amen.
our closing hymn. said that whoever takes the Lord's Supper because they are trusting him abides in him and he in them both today and eternally a full life now and eternal life with him is secured because of his work go in that knowledge tonight go in peace amen